0: Hey, good morning everyone. It's a good day today. Uh, not because GBF went, not because there is sufficient parking today, but, uh, but it's new beginnings for us as well. Um, because uh, we ourselves as a church are also getting, in many sense, relaunched. And, um, and uh, it's new beginnings for them and it's new beginnings for us as well. And for that reason, I really uh, praise God. I now mean, you know in the, in the business world there is uh, there is there's a lot of buzz around uh, startups startups are big because today there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of startups that are coming into the market and um, and uh, you know investors are looking for the best startup to invest in so that uh, later when they exit they make a lot of money and uh, there is I think recently there was this national startup day and um, and you know st- the people who who make it really big they become celebrities um now we are we are about to start a new 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 we are we are about to start the second part of our series which is acts of christ and the apostles and today we are getting into the book of acts and the book of acts is actually a book about god's great startup which is the church it's all about the church uh, we see how the church came into existence we hear about the Holy Spirit, we heard about how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the rest of the world. So it's an exciting, uh, it's an exciting book and we hope to learn this uh, together. So uh, when we were doing the Gospel of Luke, we actually, we actually learned about the announcement, we actually learned about the birth of Jesus, we went through the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. We learned about the death of Jesus, we learned about the resurrection of Jesus, and how he appeared to different people. So today, we are going to come to the book of Acts. Now, before we come to the book of Acts, before Jesus left this world, before he was ascended into heaven, he gave some famous words to his disciples. And while it is there briefly in the book of Luke, we will look at what is popularly known as the Great Commission and which is recorded in Matthew chapter 28. Okay, So if you come to Matthew chapter 28, we'll read from verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now Jesus did not just say that go and preach the gospel. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Which means, you know, we, 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 we've often heard about this fan versus follower, right? He didn't tell... People to just go and make, uh, make others a fan of me, but make them disciples of me. And how do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, where does this teaching happen? Where does this discipling happen? This teaching and discipling happens in the local church. Which is why the local church is so very important. It is in the local church that you form relationships. It is in the local church that we challenge one another. It is in the local church we encourage one another. And it is here that we teach them to become true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Till the end of the age, as long as the church exists, he is going to be with us and he is going to help us as we make disciples of men. Now, Jesus did not just give us these uh, commands and he didn't just wish us all the best and leave the earth. That's not what he did. As we are engaged in the mission of the Great Commission, he's also given us three enablers. And that is what we're going to look from this particular chapter. Okay. So as we go through the book of Acts, you will see how the church came into being. But in chapter one, he gives us three things which helps us as we are engaged in the Great Commission. Now, over the next nine months, all the way up till September, we are going to be learning from the book of Acts. And this is briefly how, how it's going to look, look like. I hope this is clear. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, so from January 15, today we kickstart the series all the way up till April 16. This is a section which speaks about the witness in Jerusalem. Okay, and that is Jerusalem in the map. We move ahead from April 23rd to May 28th this speaks about the witness in Judea and Samaria. So I'll just go back here on Feb 12th we have the camp. So so obviously we will not be taking the series there. March 26th, like how what we were doing in the earlier series on the last Sunday of the quarter we have a topical sermon. So that's the portion in white. Coming to the last section, this is the witness to the end of the earth. And here again on June 25th we have the topical sermon, but otherwise we will go through all these uh, all these uh, sermons. And God willing, on September 10th, we will have the last of the series. Okay? Now, this is exactly the schedule that is being followed at GBF as well. So we and them would be learning uh, this entire book uh, together in some sense. Okay? So that is, this is just briefly for your idea. Uh, this is the last section, which speaks of witness to the end of all the earth. Of course, it speaks about Paul's missionary journeys, the first, second, and third journey, largely concentrated on the region of Europe. And then it's from there that the church spread out later. Okay, So this is broadly going to be our plan. And I really hope that uh, each of us are looking forward to this series. It's a very interesting book. It's a very exciting book. It is the only historical account in the New Testament. And, um, And let's learn this together. So today, now we'll move into our portion for today, which is Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about All that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, last time when we when we when we commenced a study in the book of Luke, we 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 briefly looked into who Theophilus is. Theophilus was a Gentile official of high standing. That's what the that's what most of the accounts say. And we don't know why Luke was taking all this pain and effort to write the gospel of Luke and writing the book of Acts. Possibly to encourage him. Possibly he was new in the faith. Possibly he had certain doubts. It is to strengthen his faith. We don't know the actual purpose. But it's incredible that we have two of these wonderful books which are written to Theophilus now available to us in the Holy Scriptures. It says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach and that is neatly accounted in the gospel of Luke until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So everything, we, we, we went through all of that and everything is neatly accounted there. And it says that it is through the Holy Spirit that he gave instructions to the apostles. And one of the instructions that we saw is what he finally gave, which is the Great Commission. Okay? And then it says, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It says, after his suffering, which is after his suffering, after his death, after his resurrection, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What you notice here is, why is Jesus taking so much of effort to provide convincing proofs about his resurrection? Now, Jesus made an appearance to his disciples, right? Jesus made an appearance to his disciples. He showed them his wounds. Thomas wasn't there. The man was doubting. Jesus made an appearance again, told him to touch the wounds on his body and feel for himself. Wouldn't that have been enough? Why was Jesus taking this extra effort to appear to people and to show them that he's alive. And it was not just one day. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I just want us to quickly turn in our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, if you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse, uh, verse 5, it says, And then he appeared to save us, and then to the 12." After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. So over 40 days, he appeared to 500 people. It's not just one person. It's not just two people. It's not just one day. It's not just two days. But over 40 days, he appeared to 500 different people at the same time, most of whom are still alive. Now, now when Paul is writing this, he's saying most of them are still alive, which means it's not a bluff you can actually go and talk to them and find out for yourself that Jesus had indeed appeared to them. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Because, because, of, his, because of the journey that Paul has had, he's saying this. Now, have you ever thought, why is Jesus providing so much of proof for his resurrection We could have just believed it by faith, right? But he's going on to provide credible proof of his resurrection. Now, Do you know that from the beginning, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most attacked doctrines that the world has against us, right? The Romans created the story that the disciples stole his body. Now, the Muslims believe that, I think some of the Muslims believe that he, he, didn't, he didn't really die. Some of them say that uh, he came to Kashmir and started a family. I don't know whether you've heard that, but, but, but the Muslims actually say that. And uh, there is then the swoon theory which says that he just swooned or he just became unconscious and he didn't really die and therefore he didn't really resurrect from the dead. Now, if you talk to any medical professional, they will tell you that with the amount of torture and brutality that was inflicted upon Jesus, it was impossible for him to be alive. He actually died and he physically rose in his body. And you know, there are people who say that you know he resurrected but, but, but he was just in the spirit and he was not really in his physical body. But that's also false because in Luke chapter 24 and verse 42 to 43 it says that they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Would a spirit really eat fish? No, right? It is someone who is in the body who would eat fish. That actually shows that Jesus rose in his physical body. Now, in the Bible, we also know that how did the death come into this world? In Genesis chapter 3, we see that, right? Death came into this world because of sin. Otherwise, we were not meant to die. Now, death came into this world. We all go through death because of sin that came into this world in Genesis chapter 3. And what is the antidote antidote to death? It is life. It is a resurrected life. So so we die because of the punishment of God over our sin. But Jesus, he lived a perfect life. And because he lived a perfect life, he didn't really deserve to die. But he bore all the punishment of God's wrath upon him. And everything was placed upon him. And he died. He died just like any man. But praise be to God that he resurrected. And his resurrection is the antidote to death right which is why the physical resurrection of the lord jesus christ is important for our salvation and you know jesus himself said right he himself said that destroy this temple and i will come up in three days he was referring to his own body he said destroy the temple and it will be built in three days and he was referring to his own body now if jesus hadn't risen from the dead could we have believed this man what is the difference between Jesus and any other great uh, religious founder or, or philosopher who would have lived on this world? They all came and gave some good talk and they died. What is the difference between Jesus and them? But Jesus can be trusted because he said he will come back in three days and he did come back in three days. And there's this interesting section in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I, would, I, I would like all of us to actually go there. It is in 1 Corinthians Chapter fifteen and verse was uh, um, seventeen onwards. It says, "For if dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. For if Christ has not been raised, it says your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins." Imagine Christ hadn't raised, hadn't been raised from the dead, after he said that he will come back then what is the difference between him and others? And then what is the point in even believing in him because there is no victory over sin and death? But because he has been raised from the dead, it gives us hope. And because he has been raised from the dead... We have life and we have life eternal. And now that's what happens during the baptism, right? Baptism is symbolic of what happens when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, if you read, we identify ourselves with the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what actually happens to us when we are born in him. And if Christ was not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And we are still in our sins. And then it says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. All our, you know, maybe some of our parents, grandparents, all of them who believed and and lived for Christ and they're dead, they're all lost if Christ was not risen from the dead. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. Imagine just believing in Christ and trying to live a holy life, all just for this life. Then we might as well enjoy life and do what we want. Why believe in Christ? If we're going, if 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 everything is going to just end in the grave, and if there is no hope for tomorrow, why believe in Christ? The church. It is very important that we understand this doctrine or this teaching of resurrection. You know, Jesus gave us the proof of resurrection, and it is so important for us to believe in it because it is resurrection that gives us hope. Many a times, when we come on Sunday, when we when we remember when when we participate of the Lord's table, we are often reminded of. The death, burial, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that is important. But what is also important is to know that our Savior is alive. We don't believe in a dead God. We believe in a God who is resurrected. And that is what gives us hope. That is what gives us life. That is what gives us a place in eternity itself. And that is something which we should never forget. Praise be to God that we don't believe in a dead God but we believe in a God who is resurrected from the grave. Now, I just want us to think about all the apostles of Jesus Christ, okay? The apostles of Jesus Christ, they lived with the Lord, they walked with the Lord, they, 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 they traveled with the Lord, they saw all his spectacular miracles, but during the trial of Jesus, no one was there with him, right? They all had ran away. Peter, as if to add salt to injury, even denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. What do you think caused this change in their life that after the, after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus, what made all of them give up their life for the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that brought about the change? What is it that brought about that conviction? You know, all Bible scholars say that it is seeing the risen Lord which gave them that strength and which gave them that motivation to not just live and preach the Lord Jesus Christ, but to even die for Him. Look at, look at what happened to all of them, right? Look at St. Thomas. St. Thomas came to India and we know that he was speared in Chennai. St. Matthew was speared in Ethiopia. I was reading about several of them. There was one of the apostles who was, um, who was thrown from a wall and then he was beaten to death. Several of them were crucified. Peter, upon his request, was crucified upside down along with his wife. Why do you think, why do you think, what is it that gave them the motivation to live and die for the Lord Jesus Christ? They knew that this man who lived with us, who walked with us and who talked with us, he is truly God. They saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and that's what gave them the confidence to believe that even if they were to die today for the sake of him, that they would be resurrected and they would have a life for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, praise be to God that we don't believe We don't believe in a dead God. We believe in the One who is risen. You know, in the in the the Psalms, I think we read that you know the gods of this world they have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, but we believe in a God who is resurrected. You know, David Livingstone. I was reading about um, him many years back. In fact, uh, yesterday I was trying to look for that particular account and I couldn't find it. But but I but I kind of remember this. David Livingstone, when he went to Africa with the gospel, it was the dark continent. It was it was. in you know, those days, there was no mode of communication. He was all alone. And the man went into Africa, and for many years, there was no sign of him. And finally, and finally, I think when somebody spotted him, you know, his skin had become like leather, you know, beaten by the, the African uh, harsh sun. And, uh, and someone asked him, brother, what made you, through all of these lonely years, what made you persist and go Um, and continue your journey. And you know what what, uh, David Livingston said? You know what is the last part of the Great Commission? The last part of the Great Commission says, And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He said, you know, the Lord said, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He said, I clung on to these words with all my life. That's what kept me going. David Livingston knew that he's not put his faith in a dead God, but he's put his faith in the one who is risen. So church, in this new life of our church, why do we do things for the Lord? Why does the music team prepare every Sunday and lead us in singing? Why does the setup team do all of this? Why do we pray for one another? Why do we serve the Lord through administration? Why do we serve the Lord? Why do we encourage one another? Why do we push each other to live in the light of the gospel? Because we don't believe in a dead God. We believe in the one Who's risen, we believe in the one who has conquered the grave, and one day we are going to sing that taunt song, o death, where is your victory, grave, where is your sting? Praise be to God that He has given us the proof of his resurrection that is the first enabler that he gives us as we are involved in the great commission we'll move we 'll move on on one occasion. by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the age now here jesus is speaking about the holy spirit he's saying that he's going to give the holy spirit to enable us as we are involved in the great commission now sometimes you know when this uh, when we hear about the holy spirit we just think that Holy Spirit made its appearance in the New Testament. Now, that's actually wrong. That's actually wrong. We find the Holy Spirit right from creation onwards. We find mention of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But there is a bit of a difference, and that's what we will do. Now, for this section, right, this section on the Holy Spirit... I will be taking a lot of verses and I think it's very important for these verses to talk to you rather than me talking to you. So if you can take the effort to take those verses, it will be great. Otherwise, you can just listen and when you get these slides, I would request you to go through those verses because I think the doctrine or the teaching of the Holy Spirit is one of the is, is, I think even the evangelical circles, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and it'd be good for us to know what the Holy Spirit is, Okay. Mm -hmm. So for that, the first section that we will look at is right at the beginning, right? In Genesis chapter 1, we find the Holy Spirit mentioned in the creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was there right at the beginning, during the creation, the Holy Spirit was there. So the Holy Spirit was there right at the beginning. Okay. Now the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people and came upon situations for particular tasks, which is very different from the New Testament. Now in the, in, you know, when the Israelites left Egypt and when they were crossing through the desert, before the temple was built in Jerusalem, they had the tent of the tabernacle. And for that they needed skilled workmen. And there was this person called Bezalel, who was called and he was a skilled craftsman. And in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 1 to 5, it says the spirit of God filled Bezalel with skill, ability and knowledge in all kinds of craft. So where did that skill come from? It came from the spirit of God. So there the spirit of God was enabling Bezalel in skilled workmanship so that he can offer his services for the tent of the tabernacle. Okay, do you see that? Okay now let's come to judges, okay the book of judges chapter six and verse thirty four and judges and 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 this speaks about Gideon. Now we all know how Gideon was used against the Midianites, so if you come to judges chapter six and verse thirty four it says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet summoning the Ababbaites to follow him. The spirit of the Lord came to him and the Spirit of the Lord led him or helped him to lead an army against the Midianites. So we find the Spirit of God in operation in the life of Gideon. Another interesting character in the book of Judges, who I think everybody knows, is Samson, right? Now if you come to the story of Samson, just turn a few pages and if you come to Judges chapter 15, and if you come to Judges chapter 15 and verse 14, Right? Now here Samson was strict and they put ropes around him and it says that uh, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting and the Spirit of the Lord came upon powerfully upon him and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. So we find that Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and that gave him strength. And, and eventually we know, right? God used Samson to defeat the Philistines, though he himself fell, um, fell in his life. So do you see this? The Spirit of God came on certain occasions upon people to fulfill the work of God. Now lastly, I think today I think Pradeep spoke from Isaiah. Now if you come to Isaiah chapter 61... There's this, again, This mention about the Holy Spirit. And we know that Isaiah was a prophet who was used mightily by God. So in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Right? It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. So what we find in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God came upon people to help them to do specific tasks for for specific occasions, okay? So that is what, uh, So so, you know, we, we can go through many other verses, but I think it is very important for us to understand how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. So I hope that much is clear. Now we move to the next section, which is, what does the Holy Spirit do today? Today, how does the Holy Spirit operate? Now, we know that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God comes to us and resides within us, Okay. So I would again request you, like I said, there are a couple of verses that we will take here. If you can take, you please take. Otherwise, just follow with me, okay? Now, Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And this is is how it goes. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, it says, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You know the seal? seal is a sign of guarantee. And the Holy Spirit is within us. It is a seal of the fact that we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been marked with the seal. It is God's seal which is, which is upon us. And then it says, Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory? He is a deposit. You know, When you take money from a bank, you give a deposit, right? There's a collateral which you put as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the deposit which marks us out as his children. Now, that's incredible, right? Just imagine, all of us who are sinners, we've been purchased by God, the third person of the Trinity is choosing to dwell within us as a deposit. Isn't that just incredible? That just shows how valuable we are in the eyes of God. Now, in the Gospels, in John chapter 16, there is this verse, oh, sorry, in Romans chapter 8, if you come to Romans chapter 8, there is this verse which says, Romans chapter 8 and verse, uh, verse 9, uh, it says, I'm um, oh, sorry. Yeah, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, which means that we are no more in the realm of the flesh, but we are in the realm of the Spirit, and and the Spirit of God actually resides in us. It is actually living within us. So many a times we hear this teaching, possibly if you follow television, if you follow certain evangelical teachers and preachers, they say that we have to wait for the Spirit. But that's wrong. The moment we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God Resides in us. There is no waiting. He resides in us. He is a deposit that God has given to us. Okay? Now let's come to the book of John. If you come to the book of John, and if you come to chapter 16, and let's look at what 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 this portion says. This is a very significant teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. John chapter 16 and verses 7. It says, But very truly I say to you, it is for your good that I'm going away, unless I go the advocate will not come to you. So Jesus is saying that he has to go for the Spirit of God to arrive. And it says, unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, He's going to send the Holy Spirit to us. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What are the key components of the gospel? We talk about sin, we talk about the righteousness of God, we speak about the judgment of God. And who convicts people about all these things? It is the Spirit of God that convicts people. Now, now, now when if I share the gospel to somebody, it is, not, it is not my eloquence, it is not the choice of words, it is not my style of speaking which is going to convict anybody. It is the Holy Spirit which convicts people of their sin. One of the most fascinating things that has strengthened my faith is when I read biographies of people and when I read about the testimonies of how many of these people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Even even, even the Gideon ministry, right? Sometimes I wondered how is it that people can come to know the Lord by just reading the scriptures? But it's incredible. It's the spirit of God which works in the heart of people. And if you read some of those testimonies, how the spirit moves people to go to the right passage, and how the particular passage convicts people, and how they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of God that convicts people about their sin. It is the spirit of God which convicts people about the righteousness of God. Today we live in a very, you know, a world with relative standards. How is it that we can comprehend the absolute standards of God? It is again the Spirit of God that convicts you. And the judgment of God, the fear of God. Because we fear judgment, we want to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That also comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm sure most of us have family and friends who are not in the faith. I'm sure there are we might have been praying for some of these people over the years, over several years. We've been we've been we've been maybe frustrated with the fact that, you know, over so many years we are not seeing change in people. We have such people in our lives as well. But you know what? We can't we can't nag people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't hassle them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit has to work in their heart. The spirit has to provide that conviction. And to that end, I would just request all of us to be on our knees so that the Spirit of God convinces people. OK? So the Spirit of God convinces people about sin, about righteousness and about judgment. If you come to another portion, which is First Corinthians chapter six, just come to First Corinthians chapter six and verse 11. And let's look at what this portion says. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, and this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Okay, we were washed, sanctified, justified. All of this, the primary agent of God is the Spirit of God. And that is what brings us to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, I'm not taking that. There's this version, There's this verse which says that it is through the Spirit that we are adopted into God's family. Now, we were people who were estranged. We were people who were far away. We were people who were morally, racially, ethnically, all away from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's through the Spirit of God that we've been adopted into the family of God. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it speaks about we are washed and renewed by the Spirit. The reason why I'm quoting all these verses is, you know, this is something which all of us must understand and must comprehend because we should not underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and in the life of others. Lastly, I just want from this section, I just want us to take 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And here it says, um, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, we are being made into the likeness of God through the Holy Spirit. So today, Today, I should be more in the likeness of Jesus than what I was the last year. Now, a new year has come, right? We all take resolutions. We all want to do well. We want to be more like Christ. You know, I just want us to ask this question to yourself. Are you today, in this January, a better Christian than what you were in 2022? We should yield ourselves to the work of the Spirit so that He puts you on the road to sanctification. And as you walk in that journey, you become a better Christian than what you were. The last year. So I hope this much is clear. There are many more verses which I haven't quoted, but I just felt that you all should really understand, we all should really understand what the work of the Holy Spirit is. Now, I just want to touch upon, sorry, I keep forgetting to turn this. Okay. Um, now, another portion which I really want you to understand, or another aspect of the Holy Spirit, especially in the New Testament, which I would really like you to understand is there is an aspect called as the filling of the holy spirit now what is that filling of the holy spirit okay if you come to acts chapter 9 if you come to acts chapter 9 and verse uh, verse 17 we actually find this acts chapter 9 and verse uh, 17 it says now this is the conversion story of paul and uh, if you come to verse 18 it says immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Um, sorry, it's the previous verse. Uh, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul at this conversion again was filled with the Holy Spirit and we know what great things Paul went on to accomplish for God in the scriptures we find that whenever God accomplished much there was an outpouring of the holy spirit and and through the outpouring of the holy spirit he allowed people to accomplish great things for God and we are instructed to be filled with the holy spirit ourselves you know in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 there is this verse which says Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We are asked to be filled with the Spirit. Each day, as we pursue the work of God, as we are involved in the work of God, we are asked to be filled in the Holy Spirit. And then it says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see that? When the Holy Spirit fills us, it allows us, or it makes us indulge in acts of worship and bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. In, the, in, in, in Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13 and verse, uh, verse 52, um, it says that um, 51 and 52, so they shook the dust of their feet as they were warning, uh, as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, despite going through persecution. Just look at that. Despite going through persecution, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we find that Paul and Barnabas going on to do great things for God in the following chapter. So just look at that. You know, one thing, if one thing we as believers can desire, we already have this Holy Spirit. But if one thing that we can desire is for us to truly desire to be filled by the Holy Spirit, so that through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we can be great, um, great ministers for the Lord's work. Okay, and I really hope that in this phase of our church, each of us, right, each of us sitting here, this is not the job of deacons or elders alone, but for each of us sitting here that we will contribute more to the Church of God. And as we strive to do that, that we will have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, we just heard that, you know, we are not like people who are on a cruise ship. We are not here to enjoy life, but we are here to serve the Church. Each one of us, there is nobody taking a ride. Everybody is here to serve. And as we try to do that, let's look for being filled in, this, in, in the Spirit, Okay. Now, 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 lastly, we just come back to the book, book of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, now we know that what happened on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, As the Spirit enabled them. Now, in the scripture, we know that wherever it speaks about the tongues, it actually speaks about a human language that existed somewhere. And you know what was happening on the day of Pentecost? People, all the Jews came to Jerusalem from all across the Roman Empire. And they came to Jerusalem, the church was born, there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people began to speak in different languages. So, for example, now I'm a Malayali and I get the, um, the gift of the Holy Spirit and I start to speak in Hindi and maybe French and Spanish and all these languages. And I am able to go to these places where I've come from and I'm able to preach the gospel there and people are able to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's how the early church was formed. These people who went back to, their, uh, to, their, uh, to the places that they came from, when they ba- went back from Jerusalem, they were able to share the gospel and they were able people were able to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and local churches began to get established can you just imagine that the outpouring of the holy spirit miraculously gave people the gift of tongues and that's how the early church began to get established now if you, in romans chapter 4 sorry in acts chapter 4 and verse 8 it says then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you were healed. Now here, uh, Peter and John were being called before the Sanhedrin and they were going through trial. Who gave them the boldness to speak confidently? It is the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the filling of the Holy Spirit which got them to speak boldly for the Lord Jesus Christ. So church, what is it that we learned? Okay? We learned about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what all, what all mighty things that the Holy Spirit can do through our lives if we give Him an opportunity to do so? So what is the second enabler which God gives us as we are involved in the work of the Great Commission. The first enabler, we saw that he's given us the proof of his resurrection. The second enabler is, he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are able to do great things for God. I think it was William Carey who said that, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Right? That's that's exactly... How did people like William Carey and all these mighty men of God, um, despite going through so much of challenges in their life, how were they able to effectively minister? They were able to do that through the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, last Sunday, amongst all the testimonies that we heard, um, one of the things which truly encouraged me was what Asha shared in her video. She spoke about those Korean missionaries in Bihar. Can you just imagine a group of Koreans came to Bihar and they did prayer walks in that area. And after some 20 years, they are seeing a revival break out in Bihar. How can that happen? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, you know, in, the, in the recent past, I have read about revivals that have broken out in several places. So, I think I was reading about the Welsh revival a few years back. And you know, when the Welsh revival happened, people just came to know the Lord exponentially. It's not that, you know, I share the gospel and say, Mark comes to know the Lord and I share the gospel and you know, Jacob comes to know the Lord. It's not like that. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and collectively there was this huge conviction in the hearts of people and they came to know the Lord in thousands. And you know that led to a transformation in the society and it is said that the crime rate suddenly dropped, the jails became empty, in the courts there were no cases. That's the kind of transformation that happened in the land. Do you think that can still happen? I believe it can happen. India has not seen a revival yet. I think once when Siji went to North India and he came back, I think he mentioned this. India is one country which has not seen a revival yet. Revivals are happening in China. The underground church is flourishing. You know which is the country where Christianity is growing the fastest? It is Iran. Iran Christianity is growing the fastest. In, In a country with so much of oppression, how is Christianity able to grow? There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure many people over the years have prayed for Iran and the Spirit of God is is, is working there. I've heard of revivals happening in Indonesia, but why is it that in India we still haven't seen a revival despite the fact that St. Thomas came here soon after Christ left this earth? I think we, the Indian church, has not been praying enough. We are not shedding tears for our land. What India needs is the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, the Church of God has to come together and pray. This evening, we're going to hear the testimony of Brother Renny George, who from, who's from Prison Fellowship of India, uh, for, the, for, the, for, for our bi-weekly prayer. You know, our church in Trivandrum, uh, we had this jail evangelism ministry, and once for a Christmas program, I went to the Trivandrum Central Prison, and Brother Rene George was there in the prison. Because he was serving out his term for having killed, for having brutally killed his uncle and aunt. And it's an incredible story of how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think brought about that change? It is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that convicts people about sin, about righteousness and about judgment, like we read in the book of John. You see how the Spirit of God works? So, church, it is very important that we understand the power of the Holy Spirit And allow this power to work in us and through us. Okay? We move on. Sorry for taking some time on that. Verse 9. Okay? And he said this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The disciples listen to all of this and Jesus is taken up. And these angels tell them that the same Jesus who you saw go is going to come back. We all look forward to an end, right? Um, I, was, uh, I was recently speaking to, I think, Thomas-chan. He's not here. He was saying he's looking forward to his retirement in March. Um, some of us, every day, we work and we are looking forward to the end of the day. We just want the day to end and we are looking forward to spend time with the family. Or some of us, um, um, I don't know, there are kids go to school and they look forward to come back. There's always an end which brings about a certain expectation. What is that great expectation for us what is our hope right our hope is in the return of the lord jesus christ that is what makes the journey worthwhile what is our end going to be our end is that the lord jesus christ is going to come and he's going to come into this world and we are going to be gathered up right when the trumpet calls the dead in christ will rise first and then we all are going to rise up in the in the air and 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 on that day everything would be worth it. All our strivings, all our toils, all the trials that we went through, everything is going to be worth it. And for all of us who have contributed into the church, that day is going to be worth it, right? When the Lord, just like in the parable of the talents, when he calls people and asks them to give an account, are we going to hear that commendation saying, well done, good and faithful servant? Okay? When it came to the Great Commission, what did you and I do? Did we pray enough did we share the gospel enough? Did we contribute to the church because the church is the body of Christ and God works through His church? What did you do? When the Lord comes, when He calls us to give an account, what is the commendation that each of us are expected to hear? You know, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ makes our sonship, makes our adoption into His family, makes it all makes it all worth it. It is worth it. The hope or our reward does not end in this world but our reward goes on into all of eternity. The ultimate fulfillment of all that we have done as unto Him will be experienced at His return. And that should be something that that we should strive for. So, so the third enabler is the hope of His return. First enabler, what are, the, what are the three things that we saw, right? What are the three enablers? He's given us What is the first thing? The proof of his resurrection. The second one, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the third one, the hope of his return. These are the three things that God has given us as we are involved in the work of the Great Commission. You know, when Argentina won the World Cup and when they went to Buenos Aires, I don't know whether you saw those pictures, right? The whole crowd, the whole country came to receive them. They got a hero's welcome. Is that the welcome that we get? When our time is done, is that the welcome that we will get when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? Will we hear that commendation? Good done, Charlie, or good done, Siji, good done, Jason, good done, Jacob. What is that commendation that we're going to get? May God enable us as we press on. We spoke about this. I would just like to leave a few questions. Uh, for us to think about and that's something which you can think through in your uh, cell groups as well question number one is do we become weary of doing good and persisting in our mission how can the knowledge of these three enablers help us okay why is resurrection a cardinal doctrine how does it inspire us to press on how does the right understanding of the power of the holy spirit change our perspective on the mission god has given us are we ready to welcome the lord on his return What is the commendation we can expect? Finally, what can you do in the life of CBF based on the understanding you have gathered today? I hope each of us dwell on these questions. You discuss it in the cell groups and hope this this week we take certain decisions, especially in our new context, especially in the context of, I would say, CBF 2.0. Let all of us, this is our church, we are the church, and let us... Let us use these three enablers for for God to work in us and through us. May His name be glorified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for coming together on this new Sunday, even as we are now lesser in number. But we want to thank you for this church, Lord. We want to thank you that, that this is a church that you have purchased with your precious blood. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, today, as we saw from the scriptures, that praise be to God, that we don't believe in a dead God, but we believe in a God who is risen. We believe in a God who's defeated death, who's who's defeated the grave, and we believe in a God who is living up on high and who is motivating us and encouraging us in our work for your great commission, Lord. We want to thank you for the proof of resurrection, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, that today this is an irrefutable fact that you are risen and you are risen indeed, Lord. Father God, we want to thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. It humbles us to note that the third person of Trinity is at work within us. We want to thank you, Lord, that the spirit which which raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit which is available to us today, Lord. And we pray, Lord, we pray that your spirit would fill CBF, Lord. Each of us, Lord, each of our hearts would be tuned in a way that we would be able to experience this filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can create a revival that you would use us to spark a revival in this city, Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that each of our lives would be used by you so that we can accomplish great things for you, Lord. Father, bless us, Lord. Use us, Father. We also want to thank you, Lord, We want to thank you for the hope of your return. Father, what a day it's going to be, Lord. Lord, what a day it will be, Lord. Lord, when this world is involved in pursuing meaningless things, we want to thank you for Jesus who became our Savior. And we know, Lord, that it's all going to be worth it upon your return. And that's going to be the ultimate culmination of everything. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for that. Father, we once again want to thank you, Lord, We pray that you would bless this week and give it to us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's most holy name, we ask and pray.